Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, going to the end of the chapter. This is the word of the Lord. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless our study of your word this morning, that you would... Uh, awaken our minds and our hearts by your spirit, that we would um, have your illumination, that we would understand what is written here, and it would be an encouragement to each of us. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be focused on verses 17 through 20. And you remember where we are in the book of Galatians. You remember that... um, The Apostle Paul has gotten in the face publicly of the Apostle Peter and opposed him because he stood condemned. He was um, holding himself aloof from the Gentiles. He would not eat with them when certain men showed up from uh, Jerusalem. Certain men from James and a delegation from Jerusalem showed up. Uh, The Apostle Peter uh, withdrew and would not eat with them as if uh, he would be defiled by Gentiles. Uh, Thus, it seems, returning to the law. And so, uh, we're in the midst of Peter, or Paul's argument that he made with Peter, or made to Peter, publicly. And, uh, And so, we've covered 15 and 16, and today we take up 17. Last time, the focus was justification by faith and not by works of the law. Well, that's what the whole book is about, right? That is, if you condense down Galatians into one statement, it's uh, justification by faith, not by works of the law. Now, there are certain abuses that come along when you teach the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Um... What was the counterattack of Roman Catholics during the time of the Reformation? Roman Catholics during the time of the Reformation 
constantly made the accusation against the reformers that the doctrine of justification by faith alone would lead to licentiousness, that it would lead to rampant sin. And um, they would say that the doctrine of salvation by grace alone specifically uh, through faith alone will lead to rampant sin. And thus the doctrine of justification by faith alone was condemned in the Council of Trent. Uh, actually, actually, people who held to the doctrine of justification by faith alone were condemned by the Council of Trent. And so, um, so it's all anticipated. That argument is anticipated by the Apostle Paul. And he answers that argument here in the passage that we're looking at right now. Does the doctrine of justification by faith alone lead to licentiousness? If we're saved by grace, then, you know, who cares what we do? God's gracious and lets sin and uh, his grace will be that much more glorious when he forgives more and more and more sin. And, uh, of course, the Apostle Paul was constantly confronted with that argument because he handles it in the book of Galatians. He deals with it to a certain extent in Corinthians. He deals certainly with the Romans. He's answering these accusations. Look, your doctrine, Paul, is going to lead to a rampant spread of sin. We could go to, for instance, in Romans 6.1, uh, the accusation comes to him, what, are, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be, he answers. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So he's handling that accusation in Romans. And uh, later in Galatians, the whole, almost the whole of, chap, well, the second half of chapter 5 deals with this question. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care you do not be consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Right? So he's starting to get into this. Okay, if it's salvation, if we're justified by grace, you know, what's our relationship to sin? What is that going to look like? And so um, the accusation, again, to restate it for the hundredth time, the accusation amounts to this. The gospel of grace will lead people to indifference to holiness. They'll be indifferent to holiness. Or even worse, um, to indulge in sin. There will be no motivation if salvation is by grace and not by grace plus works. There'll be no motivation to do good works. There'll be no motivation to resist sin. There'll be no motivation to, uh, to work at all. Uh, at least that was the accusation. And so, the... The reformers resisted that, um, that false doctrine. Uh, it's a, that's what the Judaizers were arguing. The Judaizers, during when this book was written and the error that he was dealing with, was exactly the same accusation as the Roman Catholic Church made to the reformers in the time of the Reformation. 
And the Judaizers were like, no, no, we, we, we got to keep the law. At least, you know, circumcision, some cleanliness laws. If, you know, we have to do these things. And so grace is, is, a, um, is a synergistic work. It's not just monergistic. It's not just God being gracious. It's God being gracious plus me building up some merit that he'll accept on my behalf. All right, so there we are. When we preach the doctrine of justification by faith alone, it sounds like antinomianism. That's always the accusation that comes. What is antinomianism? Antinomianism is against the lawism. You just you 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 cast the law completely away, right? Antinomian. You're against that law and the laws of God. And yeah, if you if you preach justification by faith alone, it sounds antinomian. And so be it. We've always lived with that as Protestants and as Reformed Christians. The accusation comes and we say, it's not true. It sounds like it, but it's not true. It's not what we believe. But if you're not accused of it, Martin Lloyd-Jones argues, if you're not accused of antinomianism, you're probably not preaching the gospel. You know, and so you... If, if you get the doctrine of justification right, an indication of that is you'll be accused of antinomianism by a bunch of legalists. And how many churches has that happened in? A lot. Here's what Lloyd-Jones says on the doctrine of justification being preached. A very good way of testing any view that you may hold is this one. Is this view humbling to me and glorifying to God? If it is... It's probably right. You won't go far wrong if whatever view you are holding is glorifying God and humbling to man. But if your view seems to glorify you and to query God, well, there's no, there's no need to argue or to go into details. It's wrong. It's a very good universal rule, that. And my last word of all is, again, a word primarily to preachers. Indeed, it is a word to everybody in the sense that if every... If ever you are putting the gospel to another person, you've got a very good test whether you are preaching the gospel in the right way. And what's that? He says, well, let me put it like this. If your presentation of the gospel does not expose you to the charge of antinomianism, you are probably not putting it correctly. What do I mean when I, by that? Just this. The gospel, you see, comes as this free gift of God, irrespective of what man does. Free gift of God, no place for works. Um, now, the moment you say a thing like that, you are liable to provoke somebody to say, well, if that is so, it doesn't matter what I do. The apostle takes up that argument more than once in this great epistle. What then? He says at the beginning of chapter 6, he's speaking of Romans, Shall we, shall we do evil, commit sin, that grace may abound? He's just been saying, where sin abounded, grace does much more abound. Very well, says someone, this is a marvelous doctrine, this go and get drunk, do what you like, the grace of God will put you right. Antinomianism, 
That's what that is. Now, this doctrine of the Scriptures, this justification by faith only, this free grace of God and salvation is always exposed to that charge of antinomianism. Paul was charged with it. He said, you know, some people say that's what I'm preaching. Paul's preaching was charged with antinomianism. So I say it is a very good test of preaching. You see, what is not evangelical preaching is this. It's the kind of preaching that says to people, now, if you live a good life, if you don't commit certain sins, and if you do good to others, and if you become a church member and attend regularly and are busy and active, you will be a fine Christian and you'll go to heaven. That's the opposite of evangelical preaching. And it isn't exposed to the charge of antinomianism because it's telling men to save themselves by their good works. And it's not the gospel because the gospel always exposes itself to this misunderstanding from the standpoint of antinomianism. So let us all test our preaching, our conversation, our talk to others about the gospel by that test. If you don't make people say things like that sometimes, if you're not misunderstood and slanderously reported from the standpoint of antinomianism, it's because you don't believe the gospel truly and you don't preach it truly. So that's Lloyd-Jones opening up this doctrine. And so basically what he's saying, look, if this was true of Paul, it ought to be true of us. If the if the apostles were accused of antinomianism based upon proper preaching and inspired writings, well, then it ought to, it ought to be the common accusation through history. Yes, Bob. Questioning God. Questioning Him. Yeah, just questioning whether what He has said is true or not. Yeah. Um, the tactic of the devil, right, to query God. <clears throat> um, merit, uh, merit is necessary for salvation. Absolutely necessary. Without merit, none of us would be saved right? There has to be perfect merit. Merit has to be put in order. It's got to amount to more than, it's got to amount to more than the demerits of your sin, right? And you can't add a single bit of merit by anything you do. <laughs> you just can't. Your righteousness is as filthy rags, right? Menstrual rags, as the prophet puts it. That's what your righteousness amounts to. Filthiness. Um, all of your good works are tainted by sin. None of them are done with good motives, right? And yet, someone did merit everything we need and gave us his merit, right? And that's Jesus. He kept the law. He absolutely kept the law without fail. He did not sin. His merit He's the, he's the unblemished lamb of God. So he went to the cross unblemished, no sin, perfect righteousness. All merit is there. The Roman Catholics say, well, there's some merit there. Not all of the merit. There's some merit there. So add your own. 
And if you read any of the reformers on those Judaizing Roman Catholics, right, if you read any of them, they excoriate them about that, where their merit comes from. And they excoriate them and say, you, you boast about your works, and they are nothing. And it, it debases God, and it, it puffs up man to be proud, right? And so, again, the, the Lloyd-Jones quote started with, look, if your doctrine doesn't abase man and exalt God, something's wrong with it, okay? That's exactly what the Judaizers are doing. They're saying, Paul, yeah, we believe in religion that's by grace, but we have to keep these elements of the law. Just, let's just say circumcision, some of the food laws, few of the ceremonial laws, right? Let's, let's just, we don't want to chuck Moses under the bus. I mean, come on, Paul. Paul, you know Moses better than any of us. And you're just going to cast the Old Testament out? Right? Those are the sort of things Judaizers would have said to Paul. And Paul says, well, no. <laughs> but yeah. Right? So we've got we to gotta see what he says here now. Um, so what is Paul the, the apostle right here in the end of chapter 2 to help us through this conundrum? Well, again, verse, look at verse 17. The Judaizers were probably arguing something like this. If we are saved apart from the law, well, haven't we just become like Gentile sinners? If this is so, then Christ is a minister of sin. Right? If, if this is so, right, if what you're saying is so, then we've become ministers of sin. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. May it never be. No. Christ, I mean, that's blasphemy to say that Christ is minister of sin that this doctrine of salvation by grace is, is, is Christ telling us to go sin and don't worry about it. Not what he's saying. And so what is this, um, what is he talking about when he's talking about rebuilding? Right? But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, as Christ then a minister of sin, may it never be, for if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself a transgressor. What, what is he talking about? Sandy? Yeah, what he's talking about, look, if I rebuild something that has been destroyed, I'm committing sin. And what he's saying is, if I rebuild justification based upon law, then I'm in sin. Because Christ has made it very clear to us that justification is not on the basis of law. Right? So if I rebuild that doctrine, then I'm, I'm... I'm in error. Peter had made that error. Peter knew better. Peter had been shown and had seen and had learned from Jesus. And Peter knew that, that, that the law was cast out as a means of, 
of uh, justification. And so, um, and then suddenly he's back among, you know, Gentiles and some Jews are watching him and he's, he's just over, he's overturned the gospel of grace. He won't eat with them. I'm not going to eat with those Gentile sinners. Well, that's a huge deal. It's a huge deal for the Apostle Peter to make that error of all men, right? Remember the things we've talked about. Remember Cornelius. Remember the, the animals on the sheet and the take and eat and, and all those things. And, the, and salvation coming to Cornelius and the Apostle Peter going and telling the apostles, look, salvation has come to the Gentiles just like it's come to us. Same way, by faith. And now here, he's confused. Which goes to show you that uh, all men can err. Even the Pope, Peter. (laughs) Even Peter the Pope can err. Um, And so... um, Verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. And this is the main thrust of Paul's exhortation here. And we could go to Romans 7 and it would flesh this out. The law brings what? What is the utility of the law? What is the primary utility of the law? What does it do? Okay. What is conviction? What's sin? Okay. Okay. So what does the law do? Not primarily. Not primarily. Not first. Yeah, the law... As somebody said, demolishes us. It reveals sin. The, the law reveals sin. And if you think you can go to the law and stay alive, you're delusional. You're absolutely delusional. The only people who think they can keep the law are those who diminish the law down to stupid superficialities like don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance. Right? Like fundamentalists do. That's the whole law for them. That's like the, the law in the Gospels is, is don't dance, don't smoke. But the law, what is the law? The law is don't covet. Every one of us has done a thorough good bit of coveting, right? And the Apostle Paul suddenly came to that commandment, do not covet, and guess what it did? It showed him, it provoked him to covet everywhere, right? He coveted, 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 coveted. And so the purpose of that law was to condemn him and kill him and make him die, right? That is the purpose of the law. It's to kill you. It's to make you dead. And then what do you do at that point? Well, it's like 
salvation better be by grace alone or I'm doomed. But that's the purpose of it. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is arguing here. Look, go back to the law. Try to keep the law. See what happens. It will make you die. You will despair. You will be beaten down by it. It, is, it kills. It will kill you. You will be damned by it. And if there isn't something then in the place of justifying grace, apart from the law, then you're just, you're going to stay dead. Right? You're going to stay dead. That's the main thrust of this whole book. Right? The main thrust. The law brings knowledge of sin and it dashes any hope of being justified by that law. Right? That's why he says, through the law, I died to the law. Through the law, I realized that the law could not make me alive. I died to it. Right? It's not, not meant to be the way of salvation. Never was meant to be the way of salvation. Right? And yet, boy, we like laws. We like tangible things we can do because the doctrine of justification by grace really takes faith. And faith is intangible in a sense. It's not something, we can't just clean our house and sit back and say, man, I'm saved by my works. That was wonderful. My toilets are spotless, I'm going to heaven. Right? Which is what we are all tempted to do. Trust me. You know, my kids got straight A's on their report cards, I must be going to heaven. Whatever we want to, whatever law we put up that's important to us, we want to be justified by that law. That's the twistedness of our hearts. But it's by faith and by grace so that you can't have any boast. Like every boast is cast out. You don't get to, you don't get to take credit for anything, you loser. We are a bunch of sad, dead losers outside of Christ. Absolutely, the playing field is absolutely even for every one of us. And it's, it's lower than low. You know, you, haven't, you, you have not risen very high. Right? You, the only thing you've proven is that you break the law continuously. And so what Paul is saying here is, is, and he was a Pharisee, right? Pharisees thought by their law-keeping, their merit would impress God. They may have believed in grace. I think the Pharisees probably, was, it, there was a lot of grace involved in what the Pharisees preached. But it was not grace alone. It was grace plus you know, don't go a hundred yards from your house on a Sabbath day. But if you do, string a rope so that you're still connected to your house. I mean, so, yeah. I mean, that's the absurdity. But that don't don't cast aspersions on the Pharisees and and exempt yourself because we make stupid laws that we think make us righteous too. I mean, some of us boast that we keep the speed limit. 
Um, I, I'm a lawbreaker. <laughs> but not as bad as my wife. Throw her under the bus here. But I'm throwing all of us under the bus collectively, so it's fine. It's fine. It's good. Okay, so Paul dies to the law as a means of justification, which for a Pharisee was just such a radical notion, right? It just obliterated Paul's understanding of God, understanding of religion, understanding of the world, understanding of himself, right? It just obliterated it. And so in comes the Lord Jesus Christ, right? But when you die to the law, it's a, very, it's a huge blessing. You realize that the only way of being saved is by God's grace. God must act. God must act on his own fully because I have no merit. I have demerit. I have a bunch of demerit. I have a, the heaviest weight of demerit that would be would uh, drag me to hell, and God must, must act. So that's the justification element that we're going to keep coming back to in this, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, okay? But now he's got to deal with this question, okay? He's, he's still talking about justification. Is he a minister of sin? If I rebuild what I once destroyed, if I prop up the law, I prove myself sinner. For through the law, I died to the law, so why would I want to rebuild something that's going to kill me, right? Um, why would I pursue that as my justification? Through the law, I died to the law so that it might live to God, all right, so now he's pivoting to answer the question of, okay, if we're justified by grace, are we just going to keep sinning? Are we actually going to pursue holiness? Is it superfluous to pursue our holiness? Is it, should we do good works? I mean, it doesn't matter if everything's by grace, right? Well, he says then next, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What's that all about? He's shifted, he's shifted to a different doctrine here. He's moved from justification to, to something else. How would you summarize it? That's the result of this doctrine, is sanctification, but it's not the doctrine I'm thinking of. It, gets, it doesn't get as much emphasis, but it's very important teaching from Scripture. And that's what? Nope. Sort of. That's a description of it. We're getting there. Uh, no. Um, our union with Christ. And so, 
I mean, some of the, these answers are getting at it. I get that. But our union with Christ, union with Christ, is that a doctrine that you've spent much time thinking about? Right? We do justification, we do sanctification, but union with Christ, an organic union that we have with Christ. What does he say? I have been crucified with Christ. I, Paul, the apostle, was crucified with Christ. Right? And so it seems like Paul was with, with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There's a union with Christ that we have by virtue of being regenerated and drawn into God through regeneration. Through faith, we are united to Christ, an organic sort of union, Christ in us, us in Christ. So as he goes, we go, right? We're united to him. And that is the basis of our sanctification, and that is why good works follow from justification. Because we're united to holiness. We're united to Christ. We are in him. We are, we are living out Christ in the world because we're united to him. Someone who is united to Christ, this is John Stott. Don't read John Stott on hell. He got it wrong, but he did some good work on the cross and on justification. Stott says, someone who is united to Christ is never the same person again. He has changed, radically, permanently changed. He has become a new creation and begun a new life. And so by our union, we die with him and we are raised with him to a new life. To a new life. Romans 6 Again, look at Romans 6. What does it say? It says this. Do you not know that, know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? We have died with Christ. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him... In the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we're raised by our regeneration, by that spirit circumcision, spirit baptism. We are raised to newness of life because we are united to him. He rose and we rose with him. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, just be like Jesus, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Those who are united to Christ don't just go, you know, I think I'll sin so that grace may abound. It's antithetical to their organic union with Christ. It's antithetical to the indwelling spirit. It's antithetical to everything that's taken place through new birth. 
right? It is now our desire and our nature, our new nature, to want to not sin, to want to do holiness, to want to glorify God, to want to live a life that pleases Him. You know, and so if you start saying, well, grace is so wonderful, it doesn't matter what you do, you have completely missed Jesus' resurrection power, right? You've completely missed the organic union that his people have with him. And so, you know, what ways have you... Well, here's what Terry Johnson says. Why does the gospel of grace not encourage sin? Because we have been united to Christ in his death. Consequently, consequently, we have died to ourselves in our old ways. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Now, it is no longer I who live. So, what ways have you seen this? If this is true, and you've been, the old self is, the new self, then you've seen this, you've experienced this, right? You sin, I get that, right? We all sin, and if we say we haven't sinned, we're liars. But how have you experienced this union with Christ, this resurrection power in your lives? Um, you know, some of you were once given over completely to your pride. It knew no bounds. Your pride was just like off the charts. No one could even talk to you because you were so proud and couldn't ever be corrected. But now you are correctable. You're teachable. You're soft. You listen to people. You respond. Maybe that's your experience. I'm not singling out anybody for that other than myself. You were selfish. You were vain. You did not love other people. You did not love God. You, you didn't even engage in worship. You, your mind was never engaged during a sermon or during worship. But all of those things have begun to change. Right? You've seen growth there. You've seen change. You've seen your patterns and habits develop in a good way. That doesn't mean there aren't days where you feel like you're down in the depths of hell in a sewer. There will be days like that. You must repent of those days very quickly. We ought all to do that. You were greedy. You had no, you had no ambition in life other than make more money than everybody you knew. And now you just want to give money away. That's why you want to make money. So you can give it away. Or so you can allow God to take it away from you. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. 
That's the experience of every true child of God. That is the experience. I want to close by um, a longer quote from... uh, I'm leaning heavily on on, uh, a commentary by Terry Johnson on Galatians, and this section was very helpful. Um, Listen to this. He says, It is not just a death to sin, but a death to self. Our great ambition in life no longer has to do with our own advancement or pleasure. It is simply to be pleasing to God. You say, I have these needs, I have these desires. Jesus says, it is not your life any longer. When you come to me, I said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I said, for whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. When you come to me, he says, you die to self-righteousness and self-indulgence. You deny your material covetousness. You deny your sensual lust. You deny your self-centered ambition. You say no to self and yes to God and to others. You become a servant to God and of others. And you do so joyfully because you no longer live. You have no more private ambitions. You have no more independent personal quests. You surrender your secret dreams. You are not your own, as Paul says elsewhere. You no longer say, I can't do this or that because it would cost me too much. You no longer calculate how much you can do and still preserve your comforts and convenience. You have died to self. This is true of everyone from the Christian mother to the Christian martyr. The Christian mother who would rather be doing something more glamorous or fun or fulfilling, a thousand times a day dies to herself as she changes diapers, reads to her children, corrects some behavior a hundred times over, and cleans up behind them all day long. I die daily, she says with Paul. Likewise, the martyr would rather have enjoyed a comfortable middle-class life, enters the ministry, heads for the mission field, places himself in harm's way, suffers persecution, and is finally murdered for the gospel. Why is he willing to do it? Because he died years before. He has been crucified with Christ. Didn't he have a right to personal fulfillment, to a family, to a home? No. He had no rights because he had no life. When Jesus bids a man come, said Bonhoeffer, he bids him come and die. So if you're dead in Christ, (laughs) alive in Christ is what that means, if you've died, then everything has changed. Not only have we died to self, but we have been raised to new life, new nature, new power, new approach to living, new motivation. And so the doctrines of grace promote sin? The very opposite, right? The gracious work of God, his action on our behalf, his salvation by grace, our union with Christ, The sanctification, the imputation of holiness, all of this is so that, you know, that we might live in a way that pleases God. We're law keepers now. Not as a means of justification, but as a means of just loving our Father in heaven. Pure and simple. living as those who are organically united to Christ. 
Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would remind us of these doctrines when we are in the throes of temptation. That we would live according to the resurrection power that you've given to us. That we would not drag Christ into our sin. But Father, that we would flee from it and we would cling to him. Lord, help us in this. May we rest in our justification and may that rest in justification motivate us to faith and love and good works. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.